Hello, and welcome to Your Killer Life, where together we tackle the reality of surviving a killer diagnosis like cancer, and I help guide you through creating your killer life. I am your host, Tammy Grable Woodford, and in this podcast, we aren't leaving anything out as my guests and I share deeply personal insights and experiences as we talk about trauma, loss, treatment options, caregiving, side effects, money. Hey, we open it all up. In fact, we are even going into the forbidden zone to talk about sex, relationships, and mental health. Remember, the conversations you hear on the show are based on unique experiences and varying diagnoses, and we all had our own medical teams. We are not giving medical advice. So if you hear something inspiring, please talk with your providers. All right, are you ready? I know I am. So let's get busy and start building your killer life. Hello, and welcome back to Your Killer Life. We are so excited to be talking to you today, and we are going to be talking about drugs. And no, this is not the Daremobile. This is not the... This is this is not a throwback to the uh, 80s or even 90s, but we are going to be talking about drugs when it comes to all of the fun stuff associated with all the surgeries. And uh, gosh, before I get too far into this, I'm your host, Tammy Grable Woodford. Griff Woodford. Also host. And this is going to be an, an interesting topic. Goodness, <laughs> there are a lot of different drugs that get tossed at you. And I have had, for those of you that may have missed a previous episode, with breast cancer, I had my biopsies, which were huge, and they just gave me Tylenol 4. And we'll talk about why, maybe we'll talk about why that was just not nearly enough uh-huh. for 1.4 centimeters of tissue removal out of my breast with that stereotactic biopsy. Not a good night. Then I had, so that was February of 2015. In March of 2015, I had my bilateral mastectomies in. June of 2015, I had my expanders placed, and we're not going to go into that today, but we will do some episodes on reconstruction and expanders because that is a big deal and a big painful deal. It is. Ooh. And then in December of, no, September of 2015, I had my first, was that when I had the first implants or was that December of 2015? It's been uh, so many. I want to say December 2015. I think it was. And then we had those redone in April 2016. And then September 2016, I had my nipples reconstructed. And then just in April of 2019, had my implants done again because I was having some complications and went from under the muscle to over the muscle. And we'll do an entirely different episode on that because that was, that's a big deal. And there's a lot of... uh, It was life-changing. Yeah. And a lot of stuff to talk about there, especially as we talk about pain, because as we walk through this process, we will talk about pain. But today we're going to talk pain mitigation and the double-edged sword of drugs. Exactly. So you want to kick it off? You want me to? Uh, Well, I I would start by... um... Uh, stating to the uh, the viewers uh, and listeners that uh, in terms of a- any long-term disease diagnosis and the mitigation of those diseases, you will be prescribed a, a pharmacopoeia of different medications. And the reality is, is that it is your responsibility as a patient and, of course, the caregiver to do your best to keep detailed logs. So you talked about medical journals before on what you're being prescribed, dosages you're being prescribed, and the ideal outcome of that is so that you know should you have to change physicians or something something occurs within your care that you know what works for you given 
your individual self and then also what works in uh, different stages or different terms of that disease or in our case surgeries because they're not all created equally. And, um, you know, it's just some of the escapades that we had early on is, uh, you know, now, of course, I wasn't there in well, my current context for the original mastectomies. So that was something that you were doing more or less on your own. But after that, once the expanders started coming in and uh, then all of the subsequent surgeries, I was, of course, part of that. And uh, just one example of that, of why keeping your own individual logs and being quite fastidious about it is because we, we knew early on the best possible combination of pain, you know, like narcotic pain relievers or benzodiazepine pain relievers, as well as uh, high test NSAIDs, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So we had that really well dialed in with minimal amount of side effects and really positive pain control. And then something as simple as a slight change in insurance provider well, okay, now we can only get half of that equation. And the as far as the, the uh, drug cocktail, if you will, trying to supplement that ended up being nearly a year of test fire and just in some cases crash and burn with something just as simple as, as a high-strength NSAID. So being very conscious and cognizant and fastidious in your record-keeping, being able to not just say the, the dosage and the individual or I should say group of drugs you'll probably be prescribed, but also your personal effects of them. So uh, potential of developing a, a low strength allergy or low intensity allergy, uh, even just due to prolonged use of a specific drug, which that's something that uh, that we ended up having to deal with and was very confusing for a while. Yeah, it was. So... Goodness. So I I think I want to back up a little bit and just talk about sort of the the different well, I want to talk about pain for starters. Because if you're listening to this and you're a caregiver, it is I think often misunderstood the amount of pain that comes with this process. And I think that two of the biggest misconceptions and I'm going to say from the guy's side would be that you end up with <laughs> Victoria's Secret boobs at the end of this, and that it's like an augmentation. And if you do research on augmentation, no, it is nothing like augmentation. And not that that doesn't have its own pain and and whatever that comes with that, but this is nothing like that. So one, that is not what that's like. And two, you know, I was not subtle when I said a few episodes ago, episode seven, I think it was, that this is an amputation. Yes. And with that comes a whole bunch of weirdness from ghost nipples because your nerves are gone and your body's confused to the pain of your nerves trying to regenerate to just the pain of all the trauma that has happened. And so I did say, and it's true, that like you're numb to sensation. But that's the skin. That's that. And you actually described that really well. There was the, is it the, what'd you call the muscle sensation versus the, is it dumb, dumb nerves versus? Oh, right. Um, external sensory nerves versus uh, internal, less sensory nerves. So smart nerves, dumb nerves. So 
Those smart nerves, all severed, confused, don't know what's going on. The muscle nerves that that provided like this weird burning, tingling, like your foot's asleep. And so and then, of course, just random ghost pain of not not having the breasts anymore and all of a sudden having having that happen. And so and all throughout this process. And like I said, we'll talk about reconstruction later. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on with your muscles, with your body, which, you know, you said in a previous episode, you know, you talked about how it's a even if it's a sterile knife fight, it's still a knife fight. Your body is, right. yeah, you know, you've been hit by a Mack truck. You've got some healing to do. So there is a ton of pain that comes with it. So post-operatively, and for me, because we're so far away from Seattle, I always had an overnight and not everybody has an overnight. And so as soon as I was out of recovery and into my room, then I had whatever was the the post-op drug of choice of my surgeon. And initially, and I have an amazing surgeon, by the way, I, oh my goodness. Yes, she absolutely is. Absolutely fantastic. But the first, so the, to back to the, back to the drugs, the first part of that, the first few surgeries, when I came out, it was morphine and morphine, I would have a morphine pump. And so every seven minutes or something or eight minutes, I would hit the button and then I would have relief. And we found that my body processed it so fast. Yes. So uh, with morphine in particular, there it, it is, well, I would say more rapidly metabolized than something like a, a Dilaudid or uh, even a benzodiazepine based pain reliever. So that's it's very commonly prescribed or at least has been. But again, because of its long, I would say long term ineffectiveness, because it can be very effective in the in the short term, but having a long lasting intravenous narcotic, it's really not great for, again, that that long term pain relief. So, you know, with with your example of that is effectively maxing out your your, the 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 timeout feature on your morphine pump and was still not effective then when we made that i shouldn't say we when uh you know the, the attending doctor realized that was a problem changing that prescription to um a actually the same milligram dose of dilaudid uh that was a big a huge difference yeah i just slept which was nice right right which i mean thinking about in terms of recovery, you know, the more that you can sleep and sleep peacefully, the faster the the physiological recovery is going to going to occur. Right. And I know with me, you know, the morphine, there's with all of these, to your point, knowing the side effects is really important because it's not just the pain meds. There were also the insets and there were also muscle relaxers. And so it, it was, you know, this is why we called it the uh, the Elvis Presley repair kit, because yeah, it was just right. this, you know, this bag of of whatever. And trying to find that combination that really worked. But I think one of the the more important things I wanted to talk about today was the mental health when it comes to the side effects of all of this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I would say from, well, with certainty as a caregiver. So uh, understanding that any patient that you are in consistent and severe at times physical pain, we as caregivers, we we under, we certainly understand that factor is something we can see, something we can dialogue, and something that we have at least a somewhat known path of how to how to fix. You know, if you have a pain attack, okay, well then you get another one of X and another one of X, and that should bring you back to a, a manageable level. 
what I personally had the most difficulty with and the observed experience of other caregivers uh, who really didn't know where to begin <laughs> in terms of that is the psychological side effects and the emotional side effects of long-term high-test narcotics, benzodiazepines, cyclobenzaprines. It is... Um, I don't know if confusing is the right word, but really not going into it with a full conceptual understanding of what what can happen when on those long-term dosages and relatively high dosages. Not surprisingly, about every, aside from the, the NSAIDs, every muscle relaxer, every tranquilizer, every narcotic, every synthetic narcotic that was prescribed, one of the main side effects is depression. On all of them, when at one point we had um, three, four different medications on board that we were dosing daily that one of their main side effects was depression. So, oddly, that happened. And to a degree that, frankly, was frightening. And as a, a caregiver, I, I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. You know, and it was also... Uh, I, I don't know if interesting. Well, uh, additionally confusing because the trend was, at least in my mind, is that those significant and dark places of depression would usually come after some sort of incremental gain, whether it's surgical or in the healing process. There would be, in my mind as a caregiver, there'd be something to be kind of happy about. You know, we've we've passed a milestone. You know, we've... Um, uh, you know, uh, get, or getting closer to a milestone where in reality with within a relatively small amount of time of those those instances was this very dark and frightening depression that would just c seemingly come out of nowhere. You know, again, uh, I think, well, I know that for in the beginning, neither of us were really understanding where it was coming from. And that was that was frightening, you know, particularly just not knowing where to even begin. So going deeper into research and trying to understand is, is this a chemical response? Is this a physiological response? And, and finding out that, well, 80% of the medications that you're currently on all have within the top three bulleted side effects of depression. So the, again, it's not just the physical side effects, the central nervous system depressant type thing that, needs to be addressed and known also the psychological and emotional yeah. effects and with that is knowing how to combat those side effects what are some things that you can put in place whether it's through activity through well any process that's going to help mitigate those well almost certain side effects and I have been accused my whole life of being uh, perpetually optimistic, right? Like my nickname has been Sunshine and Pollyanna. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so so for me to be in these dark places was uncharted territory and it was so dark. And typically, yes. you know, your pharmacist is your friend. And but this is where it gets a little bit different because you come out of surgery and you're not the one talking to the pharmacist. Usually your caregiver or someone has gone and picked up the drugs for you. Right. And so you're home. And yes, you have the package insert to read. And I'm sure that I read them. 
And I'm sure that I don't remember reading them. Of which them. you have no recollection. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's just be real there. So this is one of those things that I kind of learned as I went along that I needed to do a little more research with. And for me personally, the muscle relaxer was probably the hardest on my system mentally. Yeah. And it's not just mentally. I mean, when you're looking at the side effects, almost all of these also the other side effects is constipation. So, you know, well, well, welcome to real talk about breast cancer, because that yeah. is also a challenge that is not a fun one. And you want to talk about being incredibly vulnerable in, in a vulnerable space and having to, you had said on a previous episode, there's no more secrets after, right. <laughs> after something like this. How true that is. <laughs> Indeed. But your pharmacist is your friend. I do want to say that it, it's still as amazing as my doctors have been. There still was not a lot of conversation around the side effects of the pharmaceuticals outside of the things that would be sort of urgent or emergent. The immediate risks to health, physiological health, again, like a central nervous system, depression, rapid heartbeat, you know, um, temporary blindness, dying, what have you. But um, but in, in all seriousness, that is one thing that, uh, I mean, in both cases, we're, we're glossed over, you know, and that was my job for months of having uh, direct and accurate conversations with a pharmacist at the window while you are in surgery recovering. I need to know exactly what to look for. I need to know everything I need to know about it. And there, whereas it was I, I won't say glossed over, but the uh, the impact was certainly understated with every pharmacist that I spoke to or any pharmacist aide that I spoke to. It wasn't through actually living through it and trying really urgently to figure out what exactly was going wrong that, you know, you, you well, I was just able to even find the information and then make those correlations. Yeah. It was... You know, it, oh, goodness, it, it's just so interesting, that whole process. I mean, we've joked about things that I have said to you I have no recollection of. Like, <laughs> apparently, right. I have a preference for non-pink Barbies. That's, that is something. Yeah. You, um, I made that very clear. Yep. Completely asleep. <laughs> Absolutely unconscious and a full conversation about how you will not stand for me to buy you the pink Barbie. You wanted the blue one. <laughs> <laughs> is there a blue one? I don't even know. And you are asleep. You, you are genuinely asleep. You are unconscious. And we are having this conversation. Full conversation. Right. Lovely. Thank you for not recording any of that. You are welcome. Yes. So, but I think that, you know, I really, I do want to get back to the depression because this is a tough one. You know, it, typically post-operatively, you're really only on these things for a couple of weeks. It was during the expansion phase that I was on them for an extended period of time. Yeah. And during expansion, they placed a, and I'll go into, into deeper depths of this in another episode, but in a nutshell, they placed this very, very hard implant underneath your pectoral muscle. And every couple of weeks, they add saline to it and they expand it. And as they do that, they're stretching your pec muscle. And as they stretch your pec muscle, that impacts your neck muscles, your shoulder muscles. Everything. Oh, my gosh. So much pain. And then I also had a lot of pain after I had fat transfers. Yes. Yeah. That was, <laughs> aside from the actual mastectomies, that was uh, easily the most violent procedure that you went through. Oh, yeah. Definitely. The, the amount of uh, edema and retained fluid, just the swelling um, that all settled, it, it 
around your pelvis. Just that's just where it stayed. Was frankly shocking. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the things physiologically I was not prepared for. I'd never seen that before. Yeah. So we will definitely have some episodes on that because those were some eye-opening moments. But typically it is just for a couple weeks postoperatively that you have those pills. I don't right. like taking them. I don't. I, so you were really more of an advocate. I'm like, just yes. give me a not Tylenol because, oh my goodness, you know, just give me a, a Advil, give me an Aleve, give me an Excedrin, give me, I don't really want to take these things. But you were very much an advocate for it. And I mentioned on a previous episode that I would have so much pain that I was adapting to and just pushing through because I didn't want to take these at work because I was still trying to work. I was driving myself to work, right? So <laughs> all of this stuff, like it, you just kind of suffer through the pain as painful as it is. And those three months of expanders were absolutely the worst because I was on pain meds because it was so painful. And I was on muscle relaxers because my muscles were fighting the expansion, causing even more pain. At all times. Right. And that double dose really threw me into the darkest of the darknesses, I yeah, think. Certainly. I, I would attest to that. To, to me, not just as a caregiver, but just as a partner, those were the most difficult times for me as far as actually questioning whether or not this is going to even work as it was so not just the darkness. I understand darkness. I get that. But not being able to see any correlation to what was happening, like in, in, in my view of the world and what I'm experiencing with you, having no idea where this is coming from and not having any clue of what to do you know you're you've always been at least since i've known you always very optimistic and very logical and rational and the the side effects of that combination of drugs for that period of time completely took that away yeah it was the exact opposite on not a daily basis but with enough frequency to where again just not having any clue where this is going and not, and and why it's even happening. I think that it would actually be worse that it isn't daily because then you're just getting hit with it by surprise right. as a caregiver. And so you're used to, you know, one, and we are still getting to know each other also. So remember that, There's you know, that too. <laughs> as we go through this process, we had been friends. So we knew each other, you know, from, from that aspect. And then, you know, kind of jumping into being a little bit more and, and being supportive and, and figuring all of that stuff out and stepping into the caregiver role. But to have someone that I, there's no way I could have been a consistent me. I, you know, just all of all of the mental trauma of loss and fear and frustration and the lack of confidence. I mean, just everything being annihilated, stepping out of my career, you know, just that whole loss of hope and all of the heaviness around that will take even the most optimistic person to a an area of how many silver linings can I look for in this this cloud of crap, right? And then add to that this, the drugs, and then add to that, you're going through the reconstruction process and, and you, 
You are not being reconstructed into anything that you looked like before. And especially at that point. So there's depression around that. And so it just seemed like there was so much pain. And then I would think from your side, just the like you said, you know, with the expanders are placed, this should be a good thing. And then in my head, a I've got, you know, the, the drugs that are playing. And then I've also got the but I still look like crap and I don't see how this is ever going to look like how I looked before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I certainly could understand the um, the the feeling of like disfigurement. And we, we and we, we talked about that specifically about that before I was you know, the, the term that you used. You know, I certainly in that moment understood that and in, you know, in um, future context as well. Which we had a lot of conversations about that. And, and mainly, like, when we were in the middle of it is that, honey, we're not done. We're not done. This is something that you and I have to be very patient in. As this is not where it stops. But each additional step forward requires a lot of time in between. And, you know, I know that we all want it to happen right now. That would be certainly the most most pleasant. But that's not how this is going to work. You went through a catastrophically large surgery that has altered so many things. And I think that, well, I don't think we will be talking about the, um, the differences between subpectoral and extra pectoral implants, which, um, a little bit of a spoiler alert. I, as, as someone who has been in the medical profession before, I, I genuinely don't understand how that is still a, a practice uh, you can there ethically are. no there are there are uses for it yeah yeah there are because you have to keep in mind like i didn't have radiation damage i didn't have that's right true. my my inframammary fold on one side was damaged from the mastectomies and that was originally why because we didn't know if my my skin would hold and oh, they, I mean, yeah, I remember yeah. That. so there's a lot of there are there are times for it but I will also say that back when I had mine done, it also wasn't done very often. And so that was true. Yeah, that was true. also a reason. So, but oh my goodness, that is the, that's going to be a, that's going to be an eye opener for anybody on the caregiving side. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> a very in-depth conversation and dialogue about the uh, Unrepentant difficulties that that, yeah. that particular procedure presents. And of course, there's many, many others that yeah. are associated with long-term disease. And it, it really in the same categories, they're not done very often. When they are done, they're, they're relatively special cases. So the, um, the experience may be unique to this context, but there is a lot of applicability or application for the, the side effects, not just the physical, of course, the, the, constant and consistent high level of physical pain, but also the subsequent issues and side effects that come up from just dealing with that pain. Yeah. And, um, and also not just the uh, the pharmacological aspect, but the psychological aspect of just being in pain all the time. You know, there's only so much, so much medication you can take before you endanger yourself. Right. And so having to stay in that ground at, 24 hours a day to where nothing feels good. There is no complete relief for months at a time. It's, it is just absolutely draining. And again, as a caretaker who is, who has seen 
the ravages of long-term disease before, before you and I even met. And then of course, being romantically involved with you as uh, I am, I am with you. I am here. It's, it's, it's a lot more personal than just a simple caretaker role. And seeing that, seeing the, the collateral damage from that, it was certainly easier for me to understand where a lot of the uh, depression came from the, some of the darkness, but again, with the, the gravity of that and the inconsistency of that as well was very, very difficult for, for me to even just conceptualize. And again, I'm, there's, there's nothing about that, that was your fault or there's the same thing with anyone going through that. They are not to blame period. That is not how this is. That's not how that goes. The reason that we're even bringing it up is is for both parties to understand that there are significant hurdles that you have to attack as a unit, not as individuals. I mean, of course, there's individual responsibility, but this has to be approached as a team and both people have to be on their game as much as they possibly can be, or it is it will rapidly spiral out of control. And this, I, I will be very frank, this is a, a very vulnerable episode for me because I don't remember so much of it. And right. the reality of it is that, frankly, it was a shift in my, these drugs caused a shift in my natural personality. Yeah. And so for Griff to say, you're not always rational, which, by the way, is, is much nicer than you're being irrational. right side note (laughs) you're not always rational or or having the ability to use your words to reframe conversation it is more work on the side of the caregiver certainly and it is fatiguing and so here's the other thing there's a certain amount of grace the first time someone's going through it and then you get to the second surgery and then you get to the third surgery. And it is this roller coaster where you're like, you go through all of this stuff and you're a little bit irrational and you're on these pain meds and then you're, you know, you're like leveling out. And then all of a sudden you have another procedure and you're going through all of this stuff and you have, and it is just this up and down that as a caregiver has got to be frankly, a little bit of hell because you've got the love for this person. You want to, you want to see this person. You want to help this person. You want to heal this person. And from my side, you guys there, I am sure, I am sure I said things that were not nice, if not downright <laughs> unkind and perfectly irrational, like jump in your, I think you mentioned that I jumped your butt about coasters. It, yes. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Right. Okay. So do not remember that conversation at all. And you can tell that whatever I did or said or how I did it had an impact. I'm sorry for that, by the way. That's okay. Again, to me, that apology isn't necessary because I understand. I know the baseline you. (laughs) 
Hey, Tammy here, and I am so excited to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Riverdance Soapworks. When I was first diagnosed with breast cancer, I immediately started paying extra attention to what I ate and the products I used. That's when I discovered Deb and her team of artisans at Riverdance Soapworks, where they handcraft luxurious, natural, and good-for-the-body products like soaps, deodorants, and body butters, products that we use in our house every day. Griff loves the cedar whiskey soap and my favorite, well, I love the kawaii ginger. These soaps are handcrafted, hydrating, and luxurious enough to make you want to wash those hands for 20 seconds or more. Visit RiverdanceSoapWorks.com to check out their many amazing products and mention my name, Tammy, with a purchase of $25 or more and you'll receive a free trial size hand sanitizer while supplies last. So don't delay and visit RiverdanceSoapWorks.com today. Would you say that going through especially those two years where it was surgery every three to six months that you really questioned if you knew the baseline me? I was very, what was concerning is I did know the baseline you. What was the concern is that that is not the baseline you any longer. Mm. Yeah. Um, that, that was the real concern. Um, fortunately, that did not last very long. But And I would say the reason why is because, A, I was very, very attentive, particularly in those times where uh, where I don't really know. I mean, is this is this going to be even feasible is being very, very attentive to you and not just in the physical sense, but also the emotional and psychological sense. You know, what are you displaying to me on a consistent basis as to what will happen periodically as, as explosive as it had been a couple times that that is not actually the norm so now we have to go outside of that and find the actual causation but uh to your question yes it is exhausting and we've talked about that in the other caregiver episode is that you know the caregivers really need care too and there is a distinct balance between being a caregiver and being a savior they are not not necessarily ones that go in hand in hand. You know, right. Caregiving is is results through patience. Being a savior is results through something grand. And um, you're probably not going to get something grand out of a long-term disease as a caregiver. That, that grand gesture of salvation, that's probably not how that's going to work. Um, I would say the biggest benefit that I I have or the best tool that I had for being a caregiver is patience and the ability to practice patience. And that applied to everything, the, the physiological aspect, the psychological, emotional, and my own as well is because something may be very wrong today. If I am patient and I'm kind and I'm graceful, it will probably be not, it will probably not be wrong forever. And forgiving. You are very forgiving because there are times that, I mean, I cannot, I I frankly do not remember them. And I know Mm -hmm. that I have hurt you and you you know, and you've said that you've never, you've, you've not relived it and, and rubbed my nose and it made me feel bad for it. No, I don't do that. mm -mm. And that's important too, but you have let me know that, yeah, it was, it was, there were hurtful times, but you did not hang on to those and make that a, 
I don't know, a huge part of our history. You let other things overshadow those uncomfortable or even painful moments. Right. And our one of our last podcasts is the whole reason why I I stepped up to be that person with you in the first place is because I know how to suffer. And a lot of that comes from psychological counseling and alcohol rehabilitation, addiction, just in general. That was something that was uh, took almost two decades of my life away and a lot of things with it. And in, in those moments in particular where that felt like a direct attack, even though I know it wasn't, you know, but in, in the moment, it's a direct attack. You don't have right. the ability to, right. <laughs> to disassociate that. But a really sharp guy once told me in relation to things like that is that hurting people hurt people. And in the context it was said, it was addict behavior. You know, addicts are hurting. That's just, that's it. That's why they're addicts. They're in tremendous pain. They're trying to nullify or eradicate that pain. And because they are hurting their actions, their, their words as an addict hurt others. You were in terrible pain all the time, physical, psychological, emotional pain all the time. So having been in similar positions myself, whether all at the same time or in different parts of my life, I know, I do know that there are often times where rationality and kindness cannot exist because in, in your own internal space, it is so painful Things hurt so much that the ability to even perceive others is nearly impossible. So hurting people hurt people. So powerful and so true. So, goodness, a segue after that. That was so powerful. The pharmacist is your friend. Yes, provided you know how to talk to him. Open dialogue with the pharmacist. Something that you really had to convince me to do, but was really important, is to take your meds. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Full disclosure, still an issue. (laughs) So funny story about this. I'm going to interrupt very briefly to, and this, this, (laughs) <laughs> does involve the caretaker aspect. And, and I, I would actually say this is useful because making executive decisions as a caretaker, right, is because I know you <laughs> and you've literally spat pills out. <laughs> I do not remember that. <laughs> That's the thing that happened. The first four days of your recovery after a surgery, not the expanders, but an actual surgery, whatever that was, I would make sure you're receiving the max dose at as close an interval as you possibly could. Now, don't just give people a big handful of pills. I am a former medical professional. I understand the concept of milligrams per kilogram, how to dose that based on time and metabolism and all the things that are that you need to know about that. But to make sure that you had enough of that pain control where you could just sleep. Just sleep. You would not have done that by yourself. In fact, you don't do that by yourself. I refer to that as just tranking me out to get right. me out of his hair. 
<laughs> so I can go fly fish, right? <laughs> right. Because who knows what happened? Yeah. But, but no, I won't. And I didn't. And I, I don't like I don't like the feeling. I don't like the fuzziness in my head. I don't get any of the fun side effects that people talk about and promise with any of these not, meds. Yeah, not really. You don't. No, no, I don't. So I get constipation and I get sleepy and I get a fuzzy brain. So, you know, that's like and as a type A personality, you don't like a that's fuzzy brain. The worst. Yeah, I, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolute right. worst. So that being said, <laughs> still got to take your meds because without the rest and I may have mentioned this on a previous podcast. I don't remember at this point, but just that, you know, I think I did me coming home from work and being in a ton of pain and you saying, take your meds and, and me fighting you on it and saying, no, I'm fine. And, <laughs> and him saying, no, seriously. And finally I acquiesce. And, you know, 30 minutes later, like I felt my face relax that I had that much pain. Mm -hmm. And you guys, for those of you that have friends that are going through this, there are different ways that we deal with pain. You have to understand, and, and all of us are different. And I had never, ever in my life experienced chronic pain. Experiencing it, you will do anything, anything to try and take your mind off of it. Whether that is just mindlessly scrolling on your phone because you're you're focused on the action of scrolling and and you know whatever instead of focusing on the pain that you can not escape and is so exhausting and the only way I can explain it is it's it's just like having every muscle in your body at the same time just oh it's awful. I, yeah, I would suppose that would be a caretaker responsibility. Um, again, the more that you can educate yourself about every aspect of this, the better you're going to be at your job and the better everything is going to go. The patient's job is to heal. Your job is to facilitate that and not just the physical stuff, every other part of what it takes to be a human being. Maslow's hierarchy, you're responsible in part for that as well. One of our breakthroughs for your your psychological health and uh, which translates into your physical health was I bought you a stuffed monkey and a coloring book. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And the coloring book thing really stuck. Yep. You know, so the, what you were saying to your point about finding some sort of mechanism that doesn't harm you in the process to take your mind off of what you are physically and in many cases, emotionally and psychologically experiencing that is was well, paramount to to healing to getting out of that space so was getting outside i mean we were hiking and kayaking and yes. you know so always having activities doing things that would take the mind give the mind other food besides just experiencing that pain and that exactly. that was that was work Another, I just threw in some tips here. So the first one was the pharmacist is your friend and have those conversations. I would add to that and read your package inserts or have your caregiver read the package inserts. Pay attention to those. Mm -hmm. Take your meds because that is actually important. I would add to taking your meds. I would add as a number three, be a good patient. Being a good patient is taking your meds, but it's also communicating with your provider. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I remember the the very first time we had that discussion was... Um, you were in a, 
a considerable pain attack and were unable to sleep. And we thought something was going wrong with the uh, one of the drains. This was, of course, early on. And um, I was insistent that you actually text your surgeon. And that is part of being a good patient. Now, pestering or being an asshole to your providers, that is not. But openly communicating about the work that that person did to that person is critical. You, that is part of your responsibility as a patient and part of your responsibility to enforce that as a caregiver. The, um, the reality is when we started doing that, we've, we learned by direct communication ways to make you just, if, if nothing else, a lot more comfortable right. and undoubtedly sped that process along. Yeah. And I want to say that I think a lot of times as women, like we don't want to bother anyone. Right. It's sure. fine. It can wait until morning. I'm not a priority. The rest of the world is. And maybe hopefully not for all women. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm 49 this month. And so I will say that there's a, a generational sort of thing upbringing where, you know, not putting always putting other people first. And it took some convincing, but you did break through with logic that that is being a good patient, letting your doctor know before something becomes a big deal right. is really important. And I would also add to being a good patient, I would add your doctor needs to also be a good doctor. And if you have a doctor that is not um, meeting your needs, then please go back and listen to my episode on ad self-advocacy Yes, because you need to advocate for yourself and make sure that you are getting the care that you need. Which on, on the advocacy aspect, um, this is, it's, it, it is both parties responsibility. And to understand from the caregiver aspect is it's, it's very common not to know when to speak up or when to shut up. So that is a conversation that you guys need to have individually. And that's the thing, too, is just because and, and you in particular were very, very knowledgeable and very, um, very precise in your requirements to your providers. There, I mean, certainly times where I didn't feel like I need, even needed to speak because you had it down. Uh, that is not going to be the case for everybody else. You know, you've you've done podcasts about how much work you invested, how much time and effort you invested into knowing exactly what your disease, your diagnosis, your treatment plan was, and you were insistent upon getting the best possible one for your exact case. That is both both parties' responsibilities. That is the patient's responsibility and that is the caretaker's responsibility to help facilitate that in any context or as many contexts as, as one can. Ultimately, it is the patient's decision on what their standard of care is. As a caretaker, help facilitate those decisions as best as, as you, well, as best as you are allowed by law. Put it that way. And I think the last tip I would add is that it's okay to ask for more help or for outside help. Mental health is a big part of this. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to ask for whether it's counseling help, whether it's um, medication. It's okay to ask for help. What's not okay is falling into that abyss and losing your life in that regard, losing your joy, yeah. 
and really sitting for too long in the darkness without a way back towards the light of your life. Yes. And something to to be aware of as a patient who has a caregiving relationship, um, your well-being has a distinct impact on that caregiver's life, whether you want it to or not, whether you choose to accept that or not. Yes, you are the one that's going through the disease in particular, but so is that other person. And I can say, at least in my case, and I'm I am generalizing, but the the humanistic rationality behind that of place in, investing a lot of even in some cases identity in the person going through the disease and how well you are able to facilitate care for love and just help that person. So when you as the patient, when you feel yourself beginning to fail psychologically or physiologically, it is your job to communicate that. You have to do that because if you do fail, then the caregiver also fails. Whether that's the actual case or not, that is how it is perceived and that is devastating. And you did a great episode on caregiving and you and I mentioned it just briefly in a previous episode together. As the caregiver, if you need help. That's a, a big part of it. Um Remember, it was about a year and change, about a year and a half into it for me. And I realized I was really hitting significant walls. Like I, I felt because we've been doing the same cycle so much, there were things that I was beginning to resent and being able to just be aware of that and say, wait a minute, this is not, this is not what I'm, this isn't what I'm actually feeling. This is not what my, my feeling towards you are. I need to start at least attempting some self-care and talking to people who, which I would say ultimately that is kind of the thing is we, we, you know, we are verbal processors. We are social creatures for finding that person or people that you can even just vent to, just have someone listen to you in, in confidence. Um, it goes a very long ways in, in self-care. Cause it's the thing, you know, if the, um, if the caregiver fails, the, the patient often fails and nobody, nobody wins. So it is equal responsibility of self-care, self-advocacy and caring for each other as well. I know there were certainly times where you were just unable to, you know, kind of pull me aside or out of my, my apex of vision and say, Hey, you're, you're not, you're not completely on. Um, but there were times that you did. And they were absolutely necessary. Yeah. A real team effort. Uh, yes. And I think that that's, that's the other, and not necessarily drug related, but I will say that whether it's counseling or whatever it is for the caregiver or reaching out, finding groups, whatever it is, that there there's the very real depression, anxiety, frustration, overwhelmed, yes. all of that stuff that also uh, hits the caregiver. So, but back to drugs. Mm -hmm. Pharmacist is your friend. Take your meds. Be a good patient. It's okay to ask for help. Is there any, oh, and it, always logs are really important. Take, take things as prescribed. And anything else we would want to add to that as we wrap up? I, I don't think so. I think we actually covered quite a bit. 
<laughs> I think we did too. A little bit of extra stuff, maybe. Right. So yeah. So I uh, I don't miss the drugs. I'm not no. gonna lie. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, I guess until until next time <laughs> for me in the OR, whenever that next time is. But yeah, we'll just stick with the the nice Aleve and Advil and yeah, that works for me. Over the counter good mm-hmm. stuff for right now. So thank you all so much for joining us on the podcast. We are so excited to have you here. And goodness, you know, please feel free to share this with anyone you know who's going through any of this. If anything resonated with you, please drop us a note. We would love to hear from you because that just helps us keep going. And gosh, I guess until next time. I would like to add, actually, so if if anyone would like to drop something in uh, the comments or uh, talk to us directly about how to... um, how to find the right counselor, how to elicit the right counseling and therapy help. We both have a pretty good handle on that just through experience and research alone. So if that is something, whether it's pertaining to um, long-term illness or not, the, um, the, the processes and the, and the goals are, uh, are certainly applicable. So please let us know if it's something that you're interested in. I love it. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Keep building your killer life. Thank you for listening to Your Killer Life. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information about what you heard on today's show, visit us at yourkillerlife.com or visit our YouTube channel. You will also find us in all the usual places on social media. We have another great episode queued up for you next week. And until then, keep building your killer life. Your killer life.